Hi there, and welcome to the What on Earth podcast series. I'm Natalie, and I'm joined by my co-host, Annie, and we're here to talk about all things climate change and what on earth to do about it. Our guest today is founder of the Very Good Bra Company, Stephanie Devine. After experiencing the struggle of finding a natural fiber, non-wired bra after being diagnosed with breast cancer in 2006, Stephanie realized there was a need for this in the market. Over the last 10 years, Stephanie has dedicated her career to filling this space and offering a greatly needed product for women going through the same trauma. In addition to this, she had a desire to create the world's very first zero-waste bra and has spent years sourcing and developing this product. Her story is inspirational and her determination to prove that a bra can be made with its end date in sight is remarkable. It's a truly fascinating talk and we discover more about the environmental damage of fast fashion and learn how we can start to navigate the murkiness of the industry. Hi Stephanie and welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you join us and to learn more about your inspiring story and your work in the area of fashion waste. To begin, we would love to know more about your journey with climate change and where you're at now. Sure. Well, look, thank you, first of all, for having me. I'm very glad to be here. Um, my journey is a rather circuitous one in that I originally came from a corporate background and whilst always been fascinated with, with bras and lingerie, um, I really didn't get into it until I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2006 and I was unable to find a non-wide bra in a proper cup size um, that was lined with a natural fiber that I needed to get me through to get me through chemo and radiotherapy treatment. Um, and the only bras that I could find that were lined with cotton were maternity bras. And I'd just been told I'd never have kids after chemo. So it was a, a very confronting time for me anyway. Um, and I just felt you know, really upset that as a woman and as a, a consumer, I'd kind of disappeared off the map. There was nothing um, there to help me get through this difficult time. So I, that's how I, I kind of got a bit fixated with bras. And then obviously I got through uh, five years, I did all my treatment. I got through to the five-year point and um Again, I found myself uncomfortable in the shop and looking at, at softer, softer bras. Um, and a woman in a, a shop, you know, again, I was in front of the maternity uh, section and the woman in the shop said to me, I told her that I'd been through breast cancer and I wanted a, a natural fibre and, and a non-wide bra. And she said, there's nothing for people like you. And I thought, oh, wow, that's <laughs> insane. I know it really was. It was one of those moments I thought, oh, was that really as bad as it felt? Because it felt really bad. That's just the last thing you need when you've got everything else going on as well. That's just a basic necessity, you'd think. Absolutely. So, so I, I mean, I, I knew, you know, with one in eight women going through breast cancer, I certainly wasn't the only one out there. And it really decided me there and then that, that I wanted to try and do something to improve other young women's experience going through breast cancer. And um, so I set up a, a company called Bras That Wires, which really just focused on making non-wide bras out of natural fibres that were quietly fit for purpose for women going through breast cancer, but that were, you know, suitable for anybody that just wanted something 
something more comfortable. And um, from there, I, I, I actually lost my first business. Um, I had a backer who was really keen and we rushed into these things as you often do with, with a backer. And um, in a very short period of time, it became apparent that it wasn't going to work for either of us. And in the middle of 2016, I found myself in a situation where I had to put the business into liquidation, which was absolutely devastating oh, wow. for me. You know, it was such a personal thing and such a personal story. But that very week, I happened to meet in Sydney um, a, a fellow called Bert Van Son, who runs a circular jeans company called Mud Jeans in Amsterdam. And he started talking to me about the circular economy, and I'd never heard of it. And so... <laughs> You know, to be sitting here talking now as a bit of an expert in that world is quite <laughs> uncanny because up until four years ago, if you'd said that I'd be here talking to you, I'd have said, what's that? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing the, um, the places life takes us and the chance encounter yeah. with people that lead on to things like that. Absolutely. And it was, it really was, you know, I thought the whole bras that wise thing was my life changing moment. And I was so devastated when I was losing that business. And then, you know, suddenly having this chance encounter and realizing that actually the, the other idea was so much better and so much more important, um, you know, to be able to make the world's first circular economy bar would just be something else, uh, no wires and also, you know, not leaving any damage or trace at the end of life. So that's really, that's really how I got into it. I mean, it obviously took a long time after that, but that was where, where the idea really came about. Gosh, that's amazing to hear about all those different pieces of the puzzle that have aligned throughout your journey to get you to the point that you're at now. And, and what an inspiring story to share with us as well. So tell us a bit more about the creation of the Very Good Bra. Thank you. Um, so I started, I mean, the way that it then continued was obviously trying to find the, the right sort of um, materials that had never been done before. So, you know, finding elastic that was compostable and things like that were, were really hard. And I guess initially I hadn't necessarily thought, does it have to be compostable? But the more I thought about bras, they're such little pieces of little things and they sit next to the body. Um, you don't really want to have them recycled into other things. An elastic when it's gone, it's just gone. So I started to think more about this idea of something that was just super clean and will be super clean at, at the end of life. And then I had another of those kind of moments where I actually came out to see family in the UK for Christmas and it was the end of 2016, early 2017. Trump had just been elected as president and uh, there were women burning their bras in the streets, <laughs> like in the 60s. <laughs> and and at, at the same time, when I was flying back, I was reading stories that there were, there were people in India, in, in Delhi, who were dying by the dozens because um, they were burning rubbish and the rubbish was so toxic that they were just dying of, of the fumes and they were trying to keep warm. And, and that's where it really came to me that I wanted it to be something that, um, you know, was not necessarily recyclable, but something that was so, would be so clean at the end of its life mm -hmm. that it could be burned or buried and leave no trace. And that really crystallised for me what I, I needed to do then. 
So if Trump gets re-elected, then we need to burn your bras. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, but yeah, or, yeah, I can't even bear to think about that scenario. But anyway, <laughs> we can and they won't leave any toxic waste. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that brings us nicely to the main question of the episode, which is what on earth does it mean to be a sustainable business in the fashion industry? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it really, you know, I I think about this and I think, you know, about what I do and I still love clothes and I still love fashion, but I just think we have to, we have to buy less and we have to buy better. We have to be much more conscious with our choices, particularly around materials and particularly around blends of materials, because whilst we are able to um, recycle some of these materials now it's much more complicated to recycle them if if it's cotton blended with spandex or if it's cotton blended with polyester so we need to be we need to be much more mindful when we're buying clothes I think and looking at the labels and seeing what they're actually made of and then where they're going, thinking about where they're going to to end up afterwards and I think um the other thing is just to to be more careful in our choices and think about things that we're we're going to wear for many many years. That um, you know, if there's going to be a weighting in the clothing that you buy, that the majority of it will be stuff. You know, a pair of smart pants that you can wear for the next five to ten years, and there might be something else that you inject it with that is a bit more fun. But just to be more more conscious of our choices and the, the longevity of them in terms of both the quality and you know their their access their accessibility and their you know their ability to kind of still look look good in a few's time. Definitely. So I think for me that's a big thing. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think with fast fashion we have lost that sort of quality of product and that sort of things are made quickly, easily, so they won't sort of last. And we've forgotten how great it is to have like properly tailored clothes. Absolutely. And and it is, you know, it's frustrating that with, with some of the brands that came out. And I went through a phase where I just wanted everything and I'd take home things and, and you know, you could only wear them once or twice because the seams were so narrow that they just fall apart anyway. Um so yes, I love really beautifully made things, and and I do know that they they obviously disappear from fashion, and some there's years where you can't wear them. But I tend to rest clothes myself. I like to rest them. So <laughs> if, if there's something that I love, it goes in a box somewhere in the top of the wardrobe, and it's just rested for a couple of years until eventually it will come out again, and I'll think. Oh, that's fantastic and it's like a new thing and people say that's great where did it come from so so I think if something's really well made it it rests uh, like Mm. a good wine it can be put down for a few years (laughs) and matures yeah (laughs) matures revisited yeah Yeah. that's interesting because I do that with uh, my summer and winter wardrobe and then every time summer or winter comes around I'm like oh I love that and it's it's just that thing of seeing it again that kind of makes it fresh and new so it is a good a good tip (laughs) it's a novelty I mean I actually hate throwing clothes away because I know what that means now and I, I it really upsets me but I've always been someone who's who's has probably bought less bought better apart from an initial period of high fashion or fast fashion and so yeah I got 
I got lots of that good stuff and I, I love the surprises that come out of the boxes. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So you mentioned earlier about the combination of different fabrics and and terminology and I often feel quite overwhelmed about all the different terminology that's out there in terms of fashion because there's sustainable there's ethical there's natural there's climate positive and there's so many brands doing collections that are conscious or planet friendly and things and and I always have this reaction straight away of oh that's great and then and then I take a step back and I think oh is it great because that's like one percent of what their stock is, and what does what that what does that say about the rest of their stock? How how do you think you we can navigate this kind of terminology and sort of see past the smoke and mirrors of of greenwashing? I guess. Yeah, look, it's really tricky, and um, I think we know who you're talking about there. <laughs> well, there are some brands, and look, there are brands. Let's let's just talk about H and M because I've, I've watched their global head of sustainability talk, and there's there's great stuff going on there, and they are really buying. They're moving towards organic cotton, and they're one of the biggest buyers of organic cotton. And you know, this is this is fantastic. I think it's great that people move along those paths. Um, but I think you also have to ask yourself, you know, if, if, there are, if there are great things like that that you see or you hear about, but actually that 95% of the shop is constant turnover of um, quick fashion fixes, which are you know, 80% made from synthetic fibres and probably not going to last either in a durability sense or a, a fashion or style sense, then you've got to really question whether you know, what that all means and whether that's the sort of clothing that you should really be be going for. So I think for me, it all starts with, with just looking at a label. And I'd say to, to people who are out there who are, are learning about this for the first time, you know, if you go to your, your shop, you like, you go to shop when you, you're looking for something new to wear, have a look at what the product, what it's actually made from. Is it made from a natural fiber or is it made from a synthetic fiber and if you can find something that's made of cotton or wool or silk it's going to wash and wear better but it's also it's also better from the perspective of you know where it's going to end up at end of life so and I think you know people consumers are much more savvy now about doing their research on brands I think there are more places that you can look more apps things like good on you where you can actually you can actually look at the sort of credentials of brands, and I think that's a that's a great thing. And every one of us has an iPhone. You can always Google it in and look at, you know, credentials. Just do that when you're in the shop. Say, you know, how does this rate? What does it look like? So I think consumers just need to work out what's important to them, and perhaps research some brands that, you know, they know work in a way that that is in line with their values. Be they more based around the people and the manufacturing process or be they you know more about the you know the product and where it's going to end up at at end of life Mm, I think you kind of have to choose an area don't you that you want to focus on and an area that connects with you because it's very difficult to tick all of the boxes in in the realm of sustainability that's right again if you're not going out to impulsively go and buy something then you know think about it and do some research and, and be more conscious about that purchase and and you'll probably love it more because of that definitely definitely mm. um we've touched on it a little bit already 
Um, but we spoke about fast fashion, how it produces a staggering amount, um, like 1 billion garments annually. Uh, what can mm-hmm. about the waste generated? I think the only answer is to not buy it. <laughs> it's like plastic, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by man's ingenuity, woman's ingenuity to recycle plastic into various things, into fleeces or into, you know, all sorts of stuff, into swimming costumes. And, you know, that's all great. But at the end of the day, we just got to stop making it. It's not going anywhere. We, we kind of got to get that message now. If you see someone with it who do, goes and buys a bottle of water, you kind of think, oh, gosh, what's going to happen to the bottle? We've got to that point now with bottled water. Yeah. Somehow I haven't got to that point with clothes. And we do need to get to that. We do need to get to that point with clothes. Something that really changed my perspective was when I was studying at a fashion academy in London and there was a sort of culture of going out on your lunch break and and rushing out to get uh, the latest sort of capsule collection from um, fast fashion retailers. And, And I just struggled to get my head around it. I couldn't grasp it, the fact that you'd kind of rush out and do that and and wear it a few times and then dispose of it. And and I certainly entertained it and tried it, but I just couldn't I just couldn't quite go along with it myself. Isn't that interesting? So you were obviously well ahead of the game. I mean I probably would have been one of the people dashing out and buying the pieces. I mean <laughs> Oh I have been there. I've definitely been there. But <laughs> we've all done it for a bit. But then once you yeah. realise it, yeah, you just can't go back. It's yeah. like you can never buy another plastic bottle. Once you actually think about it and it registers exactly um, the waste of it that yeah. you just really can't go back. But that I think not. I mean, we're we're still in a minority, I'm sure. People are yeah. still going out and doing those things at lunchtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think there's so much pressure. You think you go out of peer pressure, but it lasts for a very long time. Do you still feel that there's still that pressure to, to measure up and have the latest thing, though, in terms of fashion? I mean, I don't know whether or maybe I've gotten out to an age where I, I just don't feel that pressure anymore. Do you Do you still feel that? I don't personally, but I feel like there's probably a large proportion that do um, just through like Instagram and social media. Definitely. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I I don't now, but it's quite a recent thing, to be honest, because I've not long left the fashion industry. And um, and so I think that there was always a, a sense of wanting to wear something that was in season or, you know, only six months old or something and um and so yeah I but anything anything that I have purchased that's more fast fashion I I look at that item completely differently and I think I must wear that x amount of times to make sure that I feel better about it or something um it's, yeah it's it's an interesting point yeah isn't that funny you you've got it you've got to wear it more than what is it people are only wearing it sort of three times before three we throw them out or, now yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, social media, I guess, is a, a big thing. I guess it depends which accounts you follow. Clearly, they're not my accounts. The other wonderful thing that we haven't touched on in, in the conversation yet, of course, the whole recycling and, and repurposing of clothes um, yeah. and the secondhand movement. And that's a great way that's coming up. And I did that a lot as a kid because I didn't really have much money. So I would buy some secondhand stuff. And if you want something that's really original and different and nobody else has got, then that's an easier and more accessible way of, of getting to it. And 
getting something that's more unique than a fast fashion item. So I think, I don't have the statistics, but I know that's one of the fastest growing sectors um, of the, the textile industry is, is the reselling of, of clothes. And obviously the ones that we bought before the fast fashion came out and they're sort of falling apart. Also a lot of, um, I don't know how it is there, but even my my partner's daughter, who's, you know, 18, 19, her and her friends now, because they don't have the, the means to buy it's more about an economic thing now I think about it than, than anything else. They don't have the means to buy the latest Zimmerman dress. They'll rent it. And, and again, renting designer items is another, another huge growing, growth. Yeah, definitely. yeah. And that's another wonderful thing to do. So you can still have that new look. I mean, you don't own it, but you have that new look. And, and you also know you're getting the authentic original thing rather than the slightly knockoff thing that was made cheaply somewhere else so it has a real value to it while you're actually or I don't know there's just something when you were put on something that's beautifully made and is the authentic version of what it was meant to be you just it's a great feeling especially for special occasions where you would only wear that item once I think renting is such a such a great idea exactly and I I I've never really, I haven't really done it yet. I don't really get out very much anymore. I don't think any of us do. <laughs> I haven't really done it. But I, let me tell you, I've got some beautiful dresses resting from when uh, I used to buy things that have been there for many years. And I've actually only had one or two outings. So we all have to get over this idea that, you know, we kind of want to own it if it's something beautiful. Because the reality is we might just wear it two or three times. And yeah. It's a bit of a waste and it takes up a lot of storage space in your in your resting boxes. Yeah. We could have dressed up for this. Could have dressed yeah. up for this occasion. <laughs> it's true, thankfully. Get the we're gowns not on. <laughs> I've got my odd boots on. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Do you think it's possible for a fashion company to be fully zero waste? I don't really think that it is. Um that you'd have to be limited in your product range, I think. You can only really be probably a specialist in one or two things. I mean, you probably could, but I don't know how big that company would be or whether anybody with any money would really back it. So I think what's really nice is for, for people to become, I think, specialists in what they do. So I still love to be a specialist in my bra making, lingerie making, and I might make T-shirts occasionally or sleepwear. But but it's within a narrow niche, which means that you're not actually trying to flex to please everyone. I think that's kind of almost half the problem of fast fashion, isn't it? We just want to cover everything. We're going to go yeah. into that shop and there's just going to be everything there. Yeah. We just got to decide which thing. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I, I think, I mean, I feel like we're going more to a, a boutique style of, um, of shopping. And I think probably what's going on now with COVID means that we're going to move even maybe more towards that because I think the bigger companies are going to be hit harder. And I think it's the boutiques that have, are kind of built on values and are really specific about what they do and why they do it that are going to come out of this a bit stronger i i would hope that more people are going to be driven by their values when they're they're buying things now and and thinking a little bit harder i think as a consumer as well 
it's just such an enjoyable experience to go somewhere where they are real experts in what they do and they and they truly know what they're talking about because the experience just feels um, more more wholesome somehow that feels yeah. like a piece of art yeah 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 because they know what they're doing and they, they're sticking to the knitting on that and and yeah, we, we've just destroyed, fast fashion has, has made us just destroy the thing we love the most. When things become so accessible and so, I don't know, omnipresent, then it takes away the joy. Whereas if you go you know, to your tailor and you buy a proper fitted jacket or a tailored jacket, it's just got a real sort of, it feels a bit bespoke and has an authenticity to it. It's not just there to replicate something. So you have created the world's very first zero waste bra, um, which is a huge, huge achievement. Um, so we'd love to know more about that and the very good bra company and um, the kind of journey to, to launching in 2018. Sure. Well, um, yeah, look, it was, it, it was immensely, once I decided I was going to do it, it was immensely difficult to pull it together um and to be honest i was halfway through the kickstarter before i'd actually resolved the hook and eye problem <laughs> <So> <laughs> i just assumed i think when you're quite naive about these things and you don't really come from that industry you assume that anything is possible and and it's actually not possible in some cases it's really very hard um and you're trying to get people to make things that have never been made before so so yeah the bar is made from um either tensile or organic cotton and uh, as the body fabric. And we're just lucky enough to have Liberty Fabrics from London create an organic cotton knit, the very first one in my weight so that we could make a very good bra out of that, you know, a beautiful Liberty print. So that's exciting. That just launched yeah. for me. But yeah, I'm always going to say, yeah, no, it's it's always been, I mean, Liberty for me was just such a, an amazing dream-like place as a kid when I first went to London, because I'm from the north of England, I'm from Liverpool, and going to London was exciting enough, and then finding myself in the Liberty fabric store was just beyond exciting. It's so, a dream, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's just a dream, and there's just everything you could possibly think of as though it's so exquisite and so beautiful. So to go there when I was 12 and now to have a Liberty bar is just, a really literally a dream country so so the body will always be organic cotton or tensile because they're very clean and traceable fabrics um i don't use any spandex because spandex is made of plastic so there's less stretch in there but we rely on the mechanical stretch of the the fabric um i've only been able to find one fully compostable elastic which is made of tree rubber uh, knitted into organic cotton, which is wow. made by <laughs> made by a very enterprising woman in Germany who's worked with this very old factory in Austria to create this product for her children's wear line, actually. So it's phenomenally expensive, but it is the only one that we can find. And it it is, you know, the worms eat it. The worms love it in the worm farm because it's, it's organic cotton, so they chomp away at that. And the, mm. the rubber bits can actually be composted afterwards. The worms don't much care for rubber it's a bit chewy. <laughs> you've probably got no teeth um and then yes and the the sewing thread is cradle to cradle um tensile made by a company in switzerland and everything is dyed we're using gots dyes um so global organic textile standards and then i have the hooks and eyes made um actually no i've had to go back to china because i was using a company in france and sending them my organic cotton 
and my cradle to cradle sewing thread, but unbeknownst to me, they'd been sneaking in a little bit of polypropylene just oh, to gosh. stabilize it. I know. How I did no you idea. discover so, that? It was just one of the worst moments of my year. I say that that was before, before COVID arrived, but I only found out in January this year. So I started working with them. I met them in 2017 um, and I sent them this material during the Kickstarter. And actually, I, they'd started sewing not long after that. And I suddenly realized that I hadn't sent them any sewing thread and they were going to sew with polyester. And I, I emailed them and said, you have to stop. I have to send you my own sewing thread. You can't sew with polyester. And they said, it's too late. We started. And I said, well, I'll have to send you, I'll have to send you more material. We'll have to start again. And I sent them all the press that I was getting about how it was 100% compostable and zero waste. And the MD who I'd met came back then and said, okay, fair enough. We'll wait for your sewing thread. So I literally stopped production for two weeks so that I could get the sewing thread, which takes two weeks to make in Switzerland to France so that they could complete these pieces in organic cotton and tensile sewing thread. And what, what happened was they would get sent to my factory and my factory would sew them up into the, into the bra. And, and I never saw the piece on its own unhemmed un until wow. January this year when, when, when my factory at that time dyed one into a different color and it came back frayed and it was open and inside there was this little bit of white. And I went back to the factory in France and said, what's this? And he said, oh, it's polypropylene to stabilize. And I said, but we never discussed that. Oh, <laughs> it, but that is, I mean, it was, it was absolutely devastating. When I thought I was going to have to close the company down. I just felt like I'd completely misled everybody. Oh, I thought my life nice. was over again. And, um, and I actually, um, I went out, I, I sent an email to everybody who'd ever bought a bra and said, I'm so sorry, but actually we just found out this little piece of plastic is in there. And I had over 60 responses back. It was unbelievable from, from customers who bought saying, don't worry, what you're doing is amazing. You can't get everything right. And it was just so, you know, I was in tears literally that day. People were so kind, but I did find a company based out of Paris, but they manufacture in China that will make a completely cotton piece um, now. So for the next, the next bras, we are 100% compostable there, even the, uh, the hook and eye piece can can go into compost or worm farm. So you just need to take the little bits of metal off. So, so yeah, it's the whole thing um, can be eaten by worms within about eight weeks. There are bits they don't like as much as others, but as all good clothing should be eaten by worms in eight weeks, it's the only way to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a fantastic response because obviously that that must have been immensely stressful for you, but the way you responded to it is is incredible. And if I was a customer receiving that email, that would make me love you more to and want to shop with you more because you're being transparent about about your your supply chain. Thank you. It was it was a really interesting moment. I have a friend who's in PR and, and I said, I'm going to send this out and I think this is the end. And she said, you know what, you think that people won't trust you, but people will actually trust you more. And and she was right. I think if you just, you just have to be honest. Mm. And another friend had said to me, don't tell anybody, how will they know? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I will know. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. So yeah. yeah, so I think if you you know, and it's a good lesson to other brands as well. If you are honest about what you can do and what you can't do or where you've made errors or mistakes, then people respect that more. 
rather than say I can do everything and you know when we mostly can't so yeah it was a very humbling um and really proud moment for me I must say even though it felt like one of my biggest failures ever it was it was a very positive outcome well, I was going to ask actually about the the Kickstarter response that you had because you had a, a, an incredible response to that when you were starting, and that must have really given you the the confidence to think you were you were doing the right thing and and a product that was that was really needed. And I was wondering how that momentum has lasted, and if you've got like a real loyal following in your customers. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. The Kickstarter was very much a you know is anybody going to buy this I mean, my family thought I was insane I'm going to make compostable bras <laughs> why why um and uh you don't really know even though I feel convinced and people around me seem to be very into this movement you don't really know until people buy it so yes it did go really well it was 350 percent of goal in the end But I have to say that at the end of that, it took so much energy to get to the Kickstarter and I sold over, it was like 750 bras. I had no plan for what to do next. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I then created this model, a pre-sale model really, um, which started with another black bar and got really picked up very quickly, um, where I sell it, you know, at a slight discount or an early bird rate for for 30 days which is again what we just did with liberty and people can lock in their sizes there and there's a obviously a, a little discount for doing that um and then i have that that size base and i manufacture you know two or three times that so that i've also got some stock to hold and it's become become a really a really interesting and kind of fairly unique model i think that um that inspires a lot of loyalty too. So when I did my second colour just last year, I thought, oh, maybe I'll try a new colour. I've been done the black bra twice. <laughs> Over 50% of the people who bought that bra had actually bought a previous bra. So, oh, yeah, wow. I, yeah, sort of it's nearly 40% of my um, customers come back and buy another one. That's um, really reassuring. Yeah. That's yeah, really heartwarming it, also. It's great. It's great. And it's... It's, it's people who care about the compostability and the sustainability elements. But I think also it's a non-wide bar and there are so few non-wide bras out there, which is how I started in the beginning, yeah. that are in proper cup sizes and compare to, you know, wide bras. So if you're small but you have, you know, reasonable size breasts, then it's really hard to find a bra that fits, that, um, that doesn't have a wire. And, and in the initial company that I set up, we did some research which showed that 74% of women would prefer to wear a non-wide bra if it offered the same support. So I also have, in addition to, you know, the zero waste people, I also have a lot of women who are just amazed at how comfortable it is and how if you can buy a non-wide bra and a 38 double D, that it's actually going to be really comfortable and supportive as well without having having a wire in there so I so yeah think with the with the wire as well you know there's always that kind of sketch of of a, a woman taking her bra off at the end of the day and really enjoying that <laughs> I always think that's to do with it with the wire whenever I wear a wired bra I feel like that's that's where that's coming from absolutely is I do definitely need to send you bras not because uh, Trump <laughs> is going to get re-elected but because obviously <laughs> you're still wearing wires I know um, yeah <laughs> But no, no, I'm just sitting here now, like 
touching it going, that's why it's uncomfortable. (laughs) I have a friend who also had breast cancer and she was telling me she'd be in board meetings. She's a really senior lawyer and she would literally have her thumb stuck underneath the wire in the meeting because it was pressing on her and she just was so uncomfortable. I know. You just, you just, we're such troopers, aren't we? We just get on with it and we're just like, it's uncomfortable, but we'll just do it. (laughs) And nobody knows why they do it. I remember when I was sitting up my bar company and my hairdresser who's only about 35 you know and she'd been listening to me talk about this for a few months and she said why do we have wires in your house (laughs) (laughs) so we don't nobody actually knows but we just know that they have wires in them and so we just buy them without asking the question yeah because it's just become normal but we don't need to have wires and bras our generation very industrial That's right. So, and and that, you know, getting home from work, the other bit of research we did said that 62% of women, when they get home, the first thing they do is take their bra off. Yeah, 100%. If I've had a long day, I can't wait to get it off. There you go. So, So there's a comfort level as well. There are not many companies out there making bras in 27 sizes without wires in there. And that's my breast cancer story because that to me is unfair because I'm a 10, but I'm an E cup. So, you know, I'm not a small, medium or large person. Um, That model doesn't work for me. So I think there's probably two different groups of women who who love it and and some of them probably love both but the non-wire thing is is something that more businesses should do because women love non-wire bras maybe if we switch <laughs> we'll be it will be the opposite and we can't wait to get in them in the morning rather than yeah. get them off at night you'll be sleeping in it you become yeah. one of those bra sleeping people <laughs> <laughs> oh dear um and what other ambitions do you have on the horizon for the very good bra I just really want to carry on doing more. I'd like to, I'd like to make prettier bras. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, they feel good. The tensor's lovely. Um, I'd like to incorporate some organic lace. There's a beautiful company in Germany that makes um, organic cotton lace. So I'd like to start using some of, some of that um, because it feels you know, as good as a conventional bra and it supports as well as a conventional bra and it is, you know, super clean and compostable or wormable. But it'd be really nice to make something that, you know, was as pretty in a sense. And the Liberty bras are, you know, they're, they're really beautiful because it's a gorgeous print. The black bra is a great favourite because it's about tensile bra. Everybody has a black bra. It's a simple it's go-to classic. and yes. classic. And the, the vintage peach, again, is a, a very low-key colour that you can wear under a white and you know, is is just a, a simple thing. But I'd I'd like to be able to create something that was, you know, just yeah, maybe a bit sexier. Maybe a little bit sexier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really exciting to hear what other plans you've got on the on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. And and what really holds you back is just the minimum quantity. So if you do make an elastic which is a thicker elastic or a different type, then you know, the quantities of that are, are very high. So it's hard as a smaller business, but we'll get there. And as the consumer demand is there, there'll be more producers making things. So I think, you know, the, I think the pressure comes from, from the consumer in the end. Once they want to buy these things, they put pressure on factories to manufacture new materials that are better. And that means that people like me have access to, you know, to a greater array of things to make, to cover the whole gamut of bras, mm. a bra for every day. Yeah. <laughs> Every emotion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> and then the ones to burn. Yeah. And then the ones to burn. <laughs> yes. Yes. In fact, well, maybe there's a ceremonial burning. So we get all the customers together and if the unthinkable happens, we can have yeah. a pyre <laughs> <laughs> somewhere. Yes. Non-toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Non-toxic. Yeah. Well, it's been fascinating to talk to you today and learn more about your story and really inspiring too to hear about your your personal experience and how that's led you to to create the Very Good Bra. Unfortunately, we are at the end of the episode now. And so I would love to ask you if you could share with us one piece of advice that our listeners can take away today to start actioning in their own lives. I've said it before, but I know that bras are little things and I just want to stress that it is the little things that make the difference. So when we sold our first thousand bras, I worked out that that weighs, it was about 100 kilos um, worth of potentially toxic bras that we'd saved from landfill. And 100 kilos is about the weight of a baby elephant. And that gives you a really good visual indicator of of how those little changes um, can make a big difference. Uh, and we're now up to our third baby elephant, which is fantastic. So it, it's it's important to understand that small things, small changes make a difference. And let's never let perfect be the enemy of good. I don't know about you, but I feel so inspired after listening to Stephanie's story. Sometimes the darkest moments of our lives can help shape our path and future into something truly wonderful. And it's incredible that she can share it with the world through offering such a great product. It's exciting to hear about all the plans she has for the Very Good Bra Company and we'll be sure to link to her site in the show notes so you can check it out for yourselves. Thanks for listening to this episode of What on Earth with Annie and Natalie. Make sure to rate, review and subscribe to our podcast and get in touch as we'd love to know what on earth confuses you when it comes to climate change. On next week's show... We chat to food sustainability champion and founder of Rubies in the Rubble, Jenny Costa.